Welcome to Talkie Talk podcast for the MediaByUs.com. Uh, my name is David, and joining me today is TJ. Yo! Brent. Brent. And Chris. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> I couldn't tell if we were doing yo or names. Brent took the name joke, and I took the yo joke, and Chris was left with nothing. Yeah, there's nothing left after that. No. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, what we've been watching, playing within the last week. Uh, maybe go through a reality roundup, what we've been watching again, and uh, some breezy, some news on the street if we got it, and a uh, recommendation for what to stream for the following week. Yeah, um, and and I'll kind of jump in with uh, a, a bit of a watch list start. I watched last night the, I think, free to stream everywhere movie, uh, Just Mercy is uh been made free for everyone there i think everybody should uh watch the movie it came out i think technically in 2019 but right around the turn of the year five or six months ago um that's the michael b jordan jamie fox brie larson uh true story um about the uh, pretty much the foundation of the Equal Justice Institute, which still exists and ran by uh, um, Michael B. Jordan's character, Brian Stevenson. And uh, earlier in the week, I'd watched this like, Q&A with a few podcast people that I didn't know that kind of ran a, a free, like, not a seminar, but just uh, like, you know, come listen on Zoom for free if you just like have any questions about how podcasts work or if you're interested in starting a podcast. And, you know, we're a, a very fucking low-level podcast. I think we all know that. and We don't have any – we don't try to hide that at all. I did realize during that that we're actually an above-average podcast as far as viewership and or listenership goes. Um, the average podcast uploaded to iTunes uh, averages like 0.04 downloads a week. Um, so nobody downloads most podcasts that are uploaded. I feel like a lot of those are just like bots and only downloaded by bots. <laughs> right. Made by bots for bots. <laughs> it's, never mind. I was going to do a talkie talk. The body joke. bot podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that was the yeah. Um, but uh, having said that, I just realized that we probably have a, a little bit more of a voice than even some people, even though our voice isn't that big. And uh, super lucky to be able to do it. And super lucky to have friends who have time and computers that can download and listen to our stuff. And uh, it's fucking awesome and super fun and super easy uh, to do what we do with Talkie Talk in the media by us. And uh, kind of with everything that's been going on with the BLM movement and the riots and the protests, uh, pretty much everything that's been going on the past couple of weeks, it had like just started when we recorded the last episode. And I think we were all kind of a little nervous to bring it up. Uh, it had been going on for about 24 hours at that point. But um, I don't know. I just uh, a lot of stuff with with places that haven't been able to have their employees say what they want to say. Uh, we don't make money from TMBU, but uh, we do have people that decide they want to listen to us talk for an hour. And just by chance, if any of those people are people of color, I want to make sure they know that uh, I don't want to speak for y'all, but that that I TJ think Black Lives Matter and know they do and am uh, 
going to try to do more and not just say shit all the time. And I think with TNBU and me anyway, that's going to start with trying to watch more films from minority directors and producers and making sure that I'm not writing off a movie for any fucking reason at all that has to do with, with race or any kind of stereotype. And uh, Just Mercy was a free one that I think is important to watch right now anyway. Um, but it's going to kind of start there. Michael B. Jordan produced that movie and put a lot of heart into it. And he was really good. And Jamie Foxx was incredible. And the movie on top of anything is going to be hard for me to review this week as a film, but uh, definitely important. It needs to be watched, I think. And uh, um, yeah, that's kind of it. Where is it currently streaming? It is streaming on Amazon for free, for sure. And I think Hulu for free. And I think Netflix for free. I think the studio, yeah, Voodoo is giving it up for free. Um, I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers just released that movie into the wild for the whole month of June and said, everybody watch it uh, immediately if you can. And I did. I turned it on last night to kind of fall asleep too, honestly, at like midnight and couldn't fall asleep. It was super upsetting and super realistic uh, as far as the story. Um, And just just so much fucked up shit that I had never considered. Uh, I mean, this isn't that long ago. This is like early nineties. Um, and Walter McMillan, who was set free and died of early onset dementia, probably brought on from being kind of tortured in prison. Um, when he was there for six years for a crime, he, he didn't even know about, I mean, much less commit. Um, he was, I mean, he was put on death row for three weeks before his trial. Um, pretty much to say like, if you don't, if you don't admit guilt, you know, this is where you're going to end up. And, uh, never admitted guilt, ended up there like they said he would. And, uh, finally got a retrial that had to go up, I think to the Alabama Supreme court before they finally got, got him out. Um, and, and a cellmate of his got out in 2013 and spent 30 years in prison and by the time it got to the right place they dropped i mean the da dropped all charges so this isn't like outside of mobile um and surprise he was also black so uh definitely check it out and i and not just that i mean i'm check out other we'll talk about what to watch this weekend but uh um I admittedly didn't used to think that was a priority and thought that there were probably enough people that would watch if the movie looked good. Um, but uh, those people just don't get chances. And even, I mean, like Spike Lee, Ava DuVernay, uh, people won't go watch those movies because those people are black and those movies touch on subjects that a lot of people, I think, in our country uh, don't want to watch, don't want to hear about, don't want to think about. And uh, I don't want to be one of those people. Yeah, this movie in particular uh, really hits a spot for um, kind of how these movies get filtered for me that I need to work, work on as well. Um, this one, you know, being such an Oscar head, it had an outside chance at like um, Jamie Foxx for supporting actor. When it didn't get there, it kind of, uh, you know, got off the list of something to watch, but we all know inherent in the Academy's nomination process is a very, uh, very biased, not very inclusive category right now. So using that as what I'm going to watch. Sure. We're, we're completists. We try to watch all the nominees, but uh, 
it's a good reminder to kind of go outside of what a large group of people say are the worthy movies to try to highlight some different perspectives. And, and particularly the old white group in the Academy's case there. And uh, I mean, I think Jamie Foxx got a SAG nomination, which is the youngest, most diverse group in the Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt the need to nominate him, but there's just no hiding that the old white dudes didn't, you know what I mean? It's pretty clear at that point. Yeah. Along, along with the Just Mercy going out, uh, Criterion, they dropped the paywall for a number of uh, black filmmakers and documentarians that uh, just became available, some of them for the first time uh, this week. So a lot of stuff to, uh, to check out and research. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like I said, it's a great movie. It's hard for me to separate at the moment, but I thought it was really, really well done. Um, Destin Daniel Creighton is the director there. He directed Short Term 12 and uh, The Glass Castle, which I did not see. Um, but yeah, he was, it, was, it was great. And Michael B. Jordan's probably the, the worst performance of the three, but he was still very, very good. Uh, and you could tell he was kind of in that role uh, more than I've seen him be in other films, for sure. From the commercials, that movie, um, it looked like it was probably tough to watch, which is why, you know, not hitting for a nomination, it kind of got put on a back burner for me. And just goes to show, you need to watch those movies that are tough to watch. They're, they're yeah. tough for a reason, a reason that's important. Yeah. I mean, they, they, there's a scene with a, a war vet who's being put to death in the electric chair and uh, he's just real fucked up in the head uh, with, with, um, you know, depression and anxiety and, and all kinds of shit. And uh, they linger on him for so long before the switch gets pulled. I mean, I was, uh, I just started to look away at some point and was like waiting for the, the cue to come back. <clears throat> um, and that's, you know, a privileged white guy watching an actor do something that's not even approaching what uh, these guys went through. But yeah, check out uh, uh, Just Mercy. It's uh, fantastic and uh, needs to be watched. And uh, it will make you feel uncomfortable, but I mean, it's definitely what it's trying to do. Um, and yeah, uh, now it feels like a dumb thing to talk about any other movies. Uh, but I'm going to keep doing that because that's what we do. <laughs> if we didn't do that, we would do nothing. Uh, so rapid change of, of subject, unless anybody has anything to add to that before we jump on. I'll just say that I think it goes without saying that, that what you said probably does speak for all of us, um, that we're all very much in support of that. Uh, the protests and the movement and so um yeah yes. that's sufficient for me yeah i agree i don't, I don't want my silence to be misconstrued as <clears throat> a way that i'm trying to take a uh, an out voicing my opinion because i'm afraid of retaliation or afraid of you know stating my opinion i just don't think that I can add anything to what TJ said, but I, you know, 
will echo the sentiment that I also, as Chris, think that Black Lives Matter. Um, and, you know, I don't think that our podcast really has consequences um, most of the time, uh, but in the off chance it does, and it can uh, <clears throat> have a positive consequence, then I think that we would be foolish not to kind of shoot that shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Talk to us about your cartoons now. Yeah, for real. So yesterday was Cass and I's uh, anniversary. We usually spend that day vegging out on the couch with way too much to go food and watching movies all day. And uh, we did that. We watched one movie earlier in the week that I'll talk about first uh, that I've been trying to watch for like five or six years now. Uh, and a lot of uh, science folk, I guess they're called scientists <laughs> is their proper term. No, they're called uh, science folk. You got okay, it right the good. first time. They're like merfolk. Uh, <laughs> They uh, recommend the movie Primer, the 2004 famously low-budget time travel movie, Primer. Uh, they say it's like one of the best time travel movies ever made. Has anybody heard of Primer? Yeah, yeah I've, I've heard about it a lot on podcasts over the years. Uh, yeah. Kind of people saying the same thing, which is it's just like a, a real science-minded time travel movie, as, as much as that can be the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, this guy, like, they, they're in a startup is how the movie starts, and and like in this guy's garage outside of Dallas. And I think the guy's, he's an engineer. I think he was an MIT grad, but he like purposely left the dialogue like super confusing uh, as far as the science speak goes. I mean, and it shows you have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. And they're talking over each other. You pretty much are just like a fly on a wall in this like tech startup in this guy's garage. Um, but I think the budget for the movie was like seven grand, I think. Um, it's real short. Uh, the only place I could find it to watch right now was to rent on YouTube for like $4, which is the first time I've rented from YouTube. But uh, it was really, really good. It was uh, super fascinating and uh, bizarre. I mean, I probably spent as long, longer afterwards on Reddit reading reviews and people breaking it down than I did watching the movie because um, I was confused as all hell. But there's some good maps that lovely people at Reddit have made that explain it a little better. Yeah, I think I, um, I I watched the movie quite a bit ago. I think rented a DVD of it from Blockbuster back in the day. Uh, and I nice. definitely would have, uh, yeah, I'm pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> things only not East kids would get. <laughs> you, like, it's one of those things, like, you're unaware how much things date a like piece of technology until you say I rented that DVD at Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, well, I just I timestamp it only to say that uh, something like Reddit really would have helped at the time. It was like it's really cool, and I didn't really understand it, and didn't really have anyone to really talk to about it, and it kind of almost all of it left my brain at that point. Yeah, um, so it'd be cool to see it for the first time again. <laughs> Yeah, so, but yeah, the movie cost $7,000. It had a crew of like eight people. Shane Carruth was the composer, writer, actor, director, producer, whatever. Um, he's made one more movie called uh, Upstream Color, which I think Brent and I talked about a little bit. Um, uh, he went nuts with this movie with a budget of $100,000. Um, but it's also gotten amazing reviews. Um, and he also wrote it and produced and directed and composed 
it, it really makes sense that he made this movie as uh, because I've seen Upstream Color and David, my reaction to that movie was I got done watching it and I thought, what is this? Someone needs to explain this movie to me. I don't get it. Uh, so I've, I have not seen Primer, but I have the exact same reaction to his other movie that I've seen. Would anyone, nice. would anyone be surprised to know that this guy, you guys having seen Primer and Upstream Color, that he was brought in to do some additional editing on the movie A Ghost Story. I did see that, yeah. <laughs> it just seems right for a guy where now both of the movies that he's like directed, produced, written, and composed, where the immediate talky talk reaction is, what was that? <laughs> um, yeah, I watched a couple of other movies. Uh, I had a, my classic for the week I'm saying I was going to do that. I'm going to have to watch more and more movies. I'm like promising myself I'm going to watch a movie like directed by a person of color and watch a movie like that's a classic. And those don't have a good like <laughs> yeah, Venn diagram. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's at least two movies I have to watch now every week. Uh, but this one was a, a newer classic. Uh, it was on HBO Max. Uh, and it was a movie that Cass and I had never seen. And I gave five stars too. I thought it was incredible. But we finally watched Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Um, nice. Yeah, that movie's so much fun. Um, and it has such a great cast. Uh, Al Pacino and Jack Lemmon are fucking amazing in that movie. Uh, Al Pacino had a really good year that year <laughs> with that and Son of a Woman. Yeah. In the same year. And not um, good for both, and obviously yeah. for Snap. Yeah. Uh, surprised he was the only nom from that movie. I, uh, I wonder if Jack Lemmon got pushed as a lead for that. Because I feel like he was just as good, um, but then like even the supporting people. I mean, Ed Harris was great, and uh, Jonathan Price was really, really good, uh, and Alec Baldwin, and uh, probably like the first Alec Baldwin cold open for a movie. I feel like he's done that a bunch since then. Um, yeah. Total uh, heat check performance, just you know, on the screen yeah. probably for eight minutes and kills it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's the most iconic, like part of that movie right is the um always be closing speech yeah coffee is for closers all that yeah to the point where i think it's even like that i mean i'll use myself as an example i I think i've seen that movie once and i saw it maybe 10 years ago uh or so and that's the part that sticks out in my mind it's the part that gets replayed all the time is is the abc's always be closing coffees for closers and uh you're right though that it is just a tiny fraction of that movie oh, and yeah. like jack i do remember thinking jack lemon was great in that movie but i don't remember a lot of the specifics i, I couldn't tell you what al pacino does in that movie um yeah. which is a shame because it's just i don't know it just faded from my memory for whatever reason right um but yeah definitely recommend that film if nobody's seen it it was high up on my like the embarrassing movies you haven't seen list kind of thing and uh, I'm glad I knocked it out. Uh, then we watched Totoro, Totoro. <laughs> uh, yeah, my neighbor Totoro, which uh, I kept saying Totoro yesterday. <laughs> it's, like, it's not John Totoro. <laughs> Just about this family who moves next door to John Totoro. <laughs> He's just licking, licking bowling balls and typing on his typewriter all the time. The whole family is like, he's he's nice, but he's a lot, right? 
<laughs> that is a much different story of like, oh, what what like what is your what does your daughter do all day? Like she goes in the woods and she plays with John Turturro. <laughs> she she takes naps with John Turturro at a giant tree. Um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a instant like top ten animated movie of all time for me. It was just amazing. Holy shit, though! If you need somebody to write dialogue for kids and you want it to be super realistic, like just get Miyazaki. It's so creepy how close it is to how kids actually act. Yeah, yeah. thought process. I also uh, watched it for the first time within the last week, and yeah, he just really gets in in kids' heads of like their train of thoughts, their logic, their like consequence, how actions kind of work to them and it is so it puts you so back in the mind of a child of that's exactly the kind of games we play it's the kind of like you know here's here's corn they say it could help i'm gonna give it to my mom you know that kind of thing yes so in so in touch yeah yeah i mean i think i definitely like it better than uh like princess Mononoke, house moving castle and ponyo it's probably a few notches below spirited away for me um, and it, uh, honestly, it's the only one that's kind of easy to compare Spirited Away and My Neighbor Totoro. Mm-hmm. I actually can, can compare those movies fairly easily, I feel like. Um, just with same themes of kids and, you know, having like strife and moving to the country and all that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. The other part of it is after watching. Uh... You know, knowing Spirit Away is later stuff and starting at the beginning with Nausicaa, which we talked about last week. Um, I was just so surprised how kind of plotless it is in a good way. It's a real like meditative kind of Zen movie. It's a lot of pastoral scenes in nature that just kind of happen in these kids' lives. And it's just beautiful. Yeah, this, the bus stop scene is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, like animated wise and and story wise, um, but that whole night in the rain was was really good. Yeah, and I loved the uh, the scene where the uh, the acorn seeds start growing. Just just lovely animation for that. Yeah, he's pretty good at movies. <laughs> yeah, turns out. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I've got a question for you guys who just watched it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> terrific or terrifying? Cat bus. Oh, both. <laughs> Terrifically terrifying. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird as shit, though. Yeah, and I just love how that will happen, and just it's just completely not explained. Like that's nope. just a thing that happens. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and I watched one more movie. I, by the way, I started season two of Fargo. Um, finally, we watched about three episodes of that. It's great so far. Uh, I'll probably do more when we finish, uh, I'm sure we'll keep going to season three now. And oddly, I didn't know season four was like supposed to premiere in like April and they pushed it back. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I wonder if they were like tail end of post-production when COVID hit. Um, but I don't know why they would push that back. It was interesting. Yeah. Um, they, did, did they split season three into like uh, I don't know how FX does half seasons. Did they split season three? Season no. three ended, yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean, like, is that something that they do with Fargo? Or is it... No, they, they treat it like an anthology, so they'll yeah, do all yeah. of them in a row. That's... Sometimes okay. it's like 13 episodes or 10 or 8. It's just however long the, the story is for 
uh, Noah Hawley, the guy who does it. Mm. Uh, the other movie I watched today was uh, at least three of our recommendations last week. Uh, watched Shirley, um, the 2020 movie, Shirley, starring Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg. Um, and I watched it too. Nice. Anybody else catch it? No. Uh, what do you think, David? Um, it is definitely, it is not a biopic of Shirley Jackson who wrote the, uh, the lottery. Am I, I, hope, not. I hope not anyway. <laughs> yeah. I Jackson. Think, yeah. I can't imagine her family, you know, being okay with the, this is, uh, the story of her life. It is very, very loose. I'm guessing interpretation of her life. Um, very, uh, I don't know. It's it's, it's pretty. It gets kind of out there. I think I, I I liked it. I really enjoyed the uh, the atmosphere it was doing. It's set in the the fifties, and it's got a real like woozy, delirious, and fevered kind of tone to it. Of uh, Shirley Jackson kind of alternates from like uh, you said, it was giving you vibes of like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, definitely goes from that mode to like feral bobcat in the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah like uh bewitched feral bobcat i'd say yeah Just, uh yeah um, great atmosphere i think for that time period and the kind of uh almost gothic style t- tale it's trying to tell yeah and then like really bizarre like roll flips almost like i think in the beginning of the movie like Shirley Jackson, Elizabeth Moss is the villain and you're kind of like on the side of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, besides not knowing what to think about some characters, I mean, it's almost completely flipped at that point um, that she's trying to help and, you know, everybody else is fucked up and doing mean shit. It's kind of evil. Yeah. Um, I thought Michael Stilbarg was fantastic in the movie. Yeah. You kind of got to see him play heel for the first time and he was great. Yeah, it's kind of the other side of the coin of uh, his professor character from uh, Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, complete opposite. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then I was blown away by Odessa Young. I'd never heard that name before, but I thought she was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I've never seen her in anything before, and she is she's great. Um, is really a great uh, kind of avatar for all of us, just like you're saying, for that flip of being dramatism of this you know, an incredibly talented but an extremely off-putting and blunt character, Shirley, that's portrayed in the movie. And uh, I think it's a good role for using the time period of Shirley Jackson was, was called, I don't even know if any of this is true, by the way, but kind of crazy and had problems, but also was just a very talented, very... Um, um, very determined woman in a time period where women women could be no, neither of those things. So she's kind of a good, uh, I don't know, good good um, representative role for that in society. And she does great. She she goes from you know, extremes and characters as well. Yeah, I do think there's a lot of truth to her being at least somewhat ill. She was super reclusive, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Hyman, who's like a famous movie critic and her husband, definitely was um, had many infidelities, we'll say, mm-hmm. that may have led to that or at least 
or came from that kind of one or the other. But um, yeah, and then I'll, I'll talk to you, David, off air at some point or or wait till the, these boys get around to seeing it. This movie's streaming, by the way, on Hulu right now for free. Um, it's a Hulu original, I believe. Um, but yeah, some interesting like things that may have happened at the end of that movie that I would want to bounce off somebody at some point. So, yeah. uh, I, I guess finished, by, I by happening, it, uh, I was just gonna say I finished it th- this morning and still haven't really processed like what was real. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I uh, wonder. I have questions about the whole story now from the end of that movie and what mm-hmm. we were meant to see, and um, maybe we were just, you know, if if Odessa Young's character was meant to be our eyes. Maybe those eyes weren't super reliable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but it's definitely a, a fun movie. I don't think it's groundbreaking or anything. Um, it was worth a lot. I think I gave it three and a half stars on uh, Letterboxd. But I would be open to discuss that movie more. It's one of those that looks like it might be might get, uh, rise in the rankings a little bit over time. After I talked to somebody about it for a little while and I just hadn't had time yet. Yeah, and since finishing it, it's kind of uh, it's a movie you kind of think about a little bit more. You know, once we got to this discussion, kind of almost appreciate it, even since I finished it. Um, at the very least, it's 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 definitely interesting, which uh, um, yeah puts it, it a, a, puts it in a rare class nowadays. I feel like yeah, I mean Elizabeth Moss and Stuhlbarg are just they're pros, so they're great in it. Um, yeah. But that finally brings it into the TJ watch list. I feel like I started that yesterday. Yeah. So, so I just wanted to to uh, uh, point out a fun deal um, that I realized um, as you were talking about, you know, I'll look up Wikipedia articles to movies that I have no idea anything about, except for the words that I'm literally hearing at the moment. Um, <clears throat> so rather than interject and go, how was Elizabeth Moss? I just like, you know, Google it and see. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Hulu and Neon have like a pretty tight relationship and have been uh, kind of trolling the festival scene together, um, which is why uh, Parasite is streaming exclusively on Hulu. Um, a Portrait of a Lady on Fires on Hulu Friday. Um, and I was looking at uh, two movies that are coming on uh, <clears throat> Hulu soon that were distributed by Neon. Uh, are Palm Springs, the, some Andy Samberg romantic comedy. They paid like something like $20 million to acquire this movie at Cannes, which is like crazy. Wow. An Andy Samberg romantic comedy just like doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Like, like there's too many zeros. Right. It was actually sold for like, there's a previous record. Let's say it's 20 million. They paid 20 million and $1. So it'd be the new record. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the story that came out of it. <laughs> Um, and the other one, which is not coming out soon, which I lied. Um, but do you guys know about the movie Pig? Don't think so. No. Yeah, I, I heard about Pig during uh, like festival season, and yeah. heard people were pretty like, I don't know, they were digging that movie, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, they, I mean, I think there was. I, I heard about Pig during festival while watching <laughs> film. <laughs> it, it it was. Um, it's an upcoming drama film uh, starring Nicolas Cage as a mushroom forager whose beloved pigs go missing. And I'm just like, 
no, 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 no. Just give me all the Nicolas Cage, like, leading roles. <laughs> Sorry, that was my... Uh, I mean, Possessor looks really neat, too. So, okay, so you were talking about the 2010 movie, Pig. The tagline, oink. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God you weren't talking about that one. Um, but yeah, no, I'm... It's a, oh, and now I'm going to another website that's calling it a revenge thriller. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. <laughs> um, but I'll just say this now. I don't really have anything to add to the watch list. Um, I did... I, you know, I meant to um, join in the um, join hand in hand and watch Just Mercy. I just didn't have time for it. Um, and we've been running on, at on background um, Survivor season thirteen, uh, Cook Islands, uh, really interesting season. Um, but it was, it was fun for a completely different reason than season twelve was fun. Uh, season 12 was fun because it was like hilarious and the game was not being played well by like pretty much anybody um, except for, you know, Captain America. And then season 13 is being played so hard by so many people that like you forget about people who are like playing really great games, but are just being overshadowed by probably one of the greatest strategists I've ever seen play. I won't get too lost in the weeds of talking about Survivor seasons on here, but I do hope you re- – I'm sure when you called season 12 hilarious, I'm sure you enjoyed what I think is the funniest episode of Survivor ever. And it's the – sadly, it is the episode where Bruce gets sick. Um, yes. Which is unfortunate. But uh, the interactions between Bruce and Courtney that episode are just – you can't write TV that good. It is yeah. just so funny. And it is, it remains one of the funniest episodes of television I've ever seen. Um, uh, even the, I mean, it's just, it really just boils down to how oblivious that girl is and how when she, she dismantles his rock garden to make him a, uh, a little memorial, <laughs> which is completely unnecessary. But yeah. uh, it's, uh, it, it is funny. And yeah, season 13, also the Cook Islands is where I think they really start narrating strategy like they had never done before in the show. And I think you have like Yul Kwan to thank for that. Yeah. And Jonathan Penner is also an amazing narrator for the show. So, yeah, he, Jonathan Penner breaks down at one point, I think probably the, uh, uh, like the defining moment in his season, which is, he's like, if I go along with this alliance, I'm a complete bastard. If I go back on my word and don't go with this, with this alliance, then like screw the other people over then i'm a complete bastard he's like so i don't really have much of a choice um <laughs> uh, but yeah it's a fun season we're about to start survivor fiji brent what should i know going into fiji fiji is one of the uh the most <laughs> the dumbest sort of gimmicks that they've had it's a very obvious it's obvious in how it plays out they it's a haves versus have nots season Absolutely. so uh, they give the like a winning tribe early. They're just like, okay, you get to go live in this like, custom built, almost like a cabin. Uh, and the other tribe has the worst beach we've ever had. Let's see how you do against each other. And what they do is they try to like get them to like, uh, it's like, well, you can have an advantage in the next uh, immunity if you give up your dwelling. And they're just, they just, 
there's always no 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 why would we we don't care if we have to vote somebody out we're going i want to sleep in that cabin tonight so yeah it was uh it does not play out particularly well but there is a it's it's a good season for uh um it's a good season not a great season it's a good season to watch cbs have a concept die on the vine Almost instantly. It's like episode three, and there's like, ah, this didn't work. Nice. Yeah. Like in the preview and the finale for Cook Islands, uh, they say, uh, um, like, in an exile island, more dangerous than ever, it's full of so many snakes. And it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> That's, they're talking about the quantity of snakes on exile island. Like, that'd work on TJ, but like, I don't know if these people going on the show are like really aware, like, oh, how many snakes? Oh, that's too many. I'm not going. Yeah. I was told there'd be no more than three snakes. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I pitch it to uh, one of you other boys uh, for your watch list. I can go. Um, I already have two of mine done from the co-watches. Um, from Studio Ghibli, I also been continuing from the beginning, so... Um, I think I said that uh, Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, was the first Studio Ghibli movie. If I said that, I was wrong. It's actually Castle in the Sky. So Nausicaa was the success of that allowed Miyazaki to start Studio Ghibli and then uh, two years later made Castle in the Sky. Um, anyway, is there any, Chris, have you seen this Castle in the Sky before? I think so, but I think it's one of the ones that's been so long since I've seen it that I can't really talk confidently about it, if I could ever. Sure. This one has a lot of the um, plot and twists and just everything going on that Nazca has, but more tied to a childlike um, worldview than Nazca's violent world has. So it's... a uh, guy named Pazu, I think his name is Pazu. Um, He's a miner in a town and someone floats down from the sky. Her name is Sheeta. And a bunch of magical, crazy stuff happens um, after that. They're trying to find a castle in the sky a world called Laputa. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very Miyazaki. Um, I saw that it has a big influence on uh, the use of like steampunk visuals on anime, a lot of gears and uh, focus on technology and process of industrialization in the movie. And then Miyazaki's uh, one of his through lines of um, environmentalism and protecting the natural world versus uh, militarized government is definitely in this movie. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not definitely not a masterpiece. It's, it's pr- I probably put it at about four stars. I liked it a little bit less than Nausicaa because it's a little less kind of jaw-dropping how insanely creative it is. Mm-hmm. And it's not as uh, kind of beautiful and heartwarming that uh, My Neighbor Totoro end of the spectrum is. But again, interesting seeing the, uh, the seeds of the movies that were going to come from it. So still recommend it. And again, that's uh, HBO Max for the Studio Ghibli library. And then uh, I watched um, from TJ's recommendation, very TJ-heavy uh, watch list for me. Uh, I saw The Vast of Night. Oh, yeah. What would you, what'd you think? I, I thought it was pretty fun. 
um, pretty fun kind of genre exercise and um, kind of reminded me of like a narrative podcast coming to a film. Yeah, it reminded me of like Longtown a little. Yeah. Um, the first season of Longtown anyway. Yeah, kind of had that vibe. Uh, really like the uh, the lead actors in it. I just don't know anything they've ever been in. I haven't been in anything, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Jake, Jake Horowitz plays Everett. He's the radio DJ. And Sierra McCormick plays Faye, who is a uh, phone switch operator. Um, and it's just uh, it's just very impressive that this is uh, this that whole like tracking shot from the gym to the phone switch booth in the beginning is just like mesmerizing, almost. Yeah, and they kind of pay that pay that back. There's another when it's later at night, kind of sweep through the town as well. Yeah, it reminded me a little like uh, um, if you remember like David Lynch going through the city in Mulholland Drive, kind of just like sweeping through the city. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, but yeah, very stylish, very fun kind of movie, and uh, yeah, I also uh, I also enjoyed it. Also recommend it. Sweet. Yep. And that's on Amazon. Right? That's Amazon. Yeah, that's yeah. on um, The only other thing I've been, uh, I'll say, listening to is I started the episode one of the new season of No Cat. Um. It just just uh, started on uh, June first. I think that was their first episode um, doing Final Fantasy two, and uh, they're going into it with everyone telling them um, how you guys liked Final Fantasy one. Everybody says this one is worse, <laughs> <laughs> and instead of getting a, uh, a remastered one, a remade one, they get a uh, fan ROM translation straight on the NES. So again, they are fighting enemies, and if they run or escape, they are still missing, you know, just hitting, hitting yeah. the air, and uh, they already sound frustrated in the beginning of episode one. It's good to hear they came back. I really was not, I didn't like the Chocobo races. Yeah, that's kind of just, uh, it was kind of filler for me. It was nice to, to, I guess, hear their voices, but there wasn't much there. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, uh, to anyone who cares about <clears throat> this podcast, when they finished Final Fantasy VI, there was a, there's a really pivotal, like, coin flip in it. So they decided that they would decide which game they would play next, either Final Fantasy VIII or Final Fantasy II, based solely on the results of a coin flip. And it went bad. <laughs> and now, they're playing, now they're playing a Final Fantasy game, which... Uh, when it finally was translated and, re and released in the United States, everyone was like, this game sucks. Um, it should never have been released over here. So, I'm glad it's back. Yes. Can I ask about the Final Fantasy series? How much of a through line from game to game is there in, in the story, the big story? It depends. Um, like, there are no through lines in most of them. There are thematic through lines, almost like an anthology series. But the more recent you get, you have games like Final Fantasy X and then Final Fantasy X-2, um, <clears throat> which are direct sequels, which is a direct sequel. Um, but you also have universes that get created within Final Fantasy that are separate from 
others that aren't in that. And the big one is the Fabula Crystallis universe, which is what the big like MMO is, and also the um, the game Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, those are both from that universe. Uh, Final Fantasy thirteen, maybe also. Twelve. 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 Shows, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. There you go. But yeah, so it's it's bananas. I mean, there's like there it's like yes there is a through line no there isn't and then it's all dependent on kind of the game creators well you get a much smarter answer than me i was i was going to say the only through line is essentially easter eggs like there will always be a character named sid and uh there'll be giant uh yellow birds that you ride <laughs> some things are named the same and beyond that it's it's uh, pretty loosely <clears throat> anthologized well, I, I don't want to sit us too far off the rails here, but I am curious, like, you, you, you guys are probably familiar with a more, like, varied list of video games than I am. Um, how, how common is it for a video game to have a narrative that is reliant on you having played a previous game? Like a, like a, like a true sequel, or at least on the same level that a movie sequel would be. Like, is, that, like, is that common? Is it like Last of Us coming out pretty reliant on the first one? I'm yeah, sure. I, I'd be I'd be curious about that. I think it is, but that's a good question, Brent. I'm also curious. I mean, I think that for a movie, there's more of a um, it is it is way more common than video games, right? Because you have examples like Final Fantasy where you need zero context, um, and the games like uh, like long form RPGs like the Tales series, um, the Tales of Vesperia, Tales of whatever, they're really big RPGs. Um, but I think that the main difference is that when you go watch, when you are setting out to create a movie, your goals are pretty limited by what you can accomplish. Um, and when you are making a game, a lot of those same goals are subsumed in video game creation, but then you also have like gameplay as like another aspect to it. So I think it is less important and less common in games when sequels require playing the previous game because they can, there's a, they rest on the laurels of having good gameplay independent of story or anything else um so i'm trying to think of examples of the only example or the closest example i can think of it is essentially uh is like uh mass effect 2 and 3 where you would import data from the previous one an example in mass effect 2 is if you didn't play the first one you go through a comic book style thing where you make choices and that informs the story in a shorthand for what's going on um, it's very, I think it's very rare to not be able to just pick up a new one because all games are, they need to sell like, you know, half a billion dollars, the, the big titles, if they're going to get a sequel. So they need to be inclusive of everybody, fans of the series and try to appeal to now everybody that wasn't a fan of the series. So they're always going to start with a tutorial about, you know, how to move left, right, up or down, regardless of if it's a sequel or not, or if there's any pre-existing IP. It could make it a, just a little strained if there's a opening 
um, crawl where it just tells you where you're at. Sometimes that can be a little, little awkward, but it doesn't really, uh, there's not a lot in media res games where they just plop you in the middle of it and you just figure it out. Most modern games are your hand is held for something that has made enough money to at least make a sequel. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've certainly played games that refer to other games in the series. The Uncharted series, for example, mm-hmm. is one that I've, I've played through. I haven't played the most recent one, but I've played through what, the other three. And, and you can follow that narrative as a full, big, you know, full story arc, but you don't need the previous stuff to enjoy. Like right. you could, I played it through an order, but you could pick up Uncharted 3, uh, Thief's End or whatever, and or whatever it's called, and and enjoy it for its own. And and I think like Assassin's Creed games too tried to do that, where they tried to have the Desmond narrative as the 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 present day thing, kind of connecting from game to game. But no one really cared about that. So uh, I was just curious if there was a game that was a sort of a, a true sequel where you needed the previous game, and it was actually better for it um and i did think about mass effect although i haven't played those but i knew those games were famous for their connectivity and whatnot yeah and probably I mean, it's also like you can't i feel like when you make like a, a movie or a television show or something it, and you want to then tell more of the story you either make a sequel or you make another season like, because you'll, you'll have kind of disaster cases like Firefly and then Serenity, where, like, you know, you've made your, um, you've made your, uh, your seasons and now you're canceled and you've still got budget and then they make a movie, they agreement for it, you know, everything happens, whatever. If you're a game developer and, like, you make Bioshock Infinite and, you know, pre-orders are good enough, you can add story without making a sequel by just releasing DLC or expansions for PC games. Um, so I, I think that you have just more opportunities to <clears throat> expand on story um, as like a secondary element to why your game is selling so well. Like by no fucking means you need to play any of the Call of Duties to pick up the new one to be like, okay. Like you might not know who like you know, that man with a gun that shot people who now got shot is, and you know, the, the press have to pay respect scene might be a little more watered <laughs> down than it already is. If you don't know who that dude is, but I mean, you don't make those games for people who like are following the story. Kingdom Hearts is the answer, by the way. Mm. Kingdom Hearts is the only game that if you just pick it up, I mean, if you pick up the first game and you start playing it, you won't know what the fuck's going on. It is like the most intensely <laughs> obtuse game series that I've ever played. Impenetrable. Um, <laughs> impenetrable. To the point where you can go online and you could watch, like, before Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, there was people who do YouTube videos of, like, summaries of what happened. The most popular summary video that I recommended by games journalists is, like, six hours long. Yeah. It's rough. That's so awful. Yeah. What is the, I don't, not to keep just digging the hole, but like, what what is the base plot of Kingdom Hearts? Like, I'm sorry, I know you just answered this with that answer doesn't uh, exist really, but like. Brent, David, do either of you want to take it? 
Uh, all, all I know about Kingdom Hearts is RPG plus Disney. Okay, that's what I know. Uh, David's mic cut out. I guess I got a keyblade out. I mean, the, the basics are there are like doors between dimensions and you are a person that for whatever reason have the ability to wield one of these like dimension shifting devices and can go and can stop the souls from things from being like removed and destroyed. Mickey Mouse is another one who has the ability to do that. So, well, yeah, I mean, that's his whole thing. Everybody knows that. And then there's, I mean, no. You asked for, I'm not going to get into like, oh yeah. And then there's also weird stuff about people being, having their hearts removed and being like Xehanorted because that doesn't mean anything to anyone. Not even people who played it. But that's right, yeah. you, you, answered, you answered it good enough. That's what they kind of answer I was looking for. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a really, it's, it's a, they tried, they started with an idea that we want to make original characters and we want to use the IP that we have with Disney and we want to use the IP that we have with Final Fantasy, kind of all like merging together. And I think that's where they started. And then they went, now we need a plot. And then they started building. Like I think, right. I think that has to be the way that Kingdom Hearts happened. Um, if it's not, then my life won't change at all. Like I just, it is like a corner of the fucking video game space that I just like, just like openly like don't give a shit about. <laughs> I tried. And it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't want me to like it. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, watch list for Brett. Is that it for you, David? I believe so. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have a, a pretty <laughs> now, deep now, now, now apologize, David. <laughs> Getting us on that. That was, that was fun. Yeah, that uh, was good. I uh, I have a pretty deep watch list this week. It's uh, I've watched, I want to talk about eight movies that I watched. Um, and... <laughs> I mean, I actually don't. I want to talk about each one. I don't want to talk a lot about each one. But I uh, are um, they all of the Harry Potter movies? <laughs> <laughs> it's Police Academy one through. <laughs> um, no, and I actually wasn't thinking about this until TJ you brought it up earlier. Thinking thinking about people of color making movies, and uh, I I looked after I looked at my list, and uh, of the eight movies, only two were made by white men. So oh, nice. Uh, an accidental woohoo on my part, yes. I guess. Uh, it's not, it was not, not like I set out to do that, but uh, I, I've recently uh, expanded Oracle and uh, Oracle now has, it's now a letterboxed watch list that's over 5,000 movies. Oh my it's, gosh. Ev- it's every movie ever nominated for an Oscar is on there. Nice. Uh, plus every movie that's ever appeared on like uh, the uh, sight and sound list or the, uh-huh thousand movies so it's 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 massive so now it's just spitting things so pretty much every movie that where anybody on earth ever went to <laughs> yeah. it is on your list feed me oracle <laughs> <laughs> feed me all the <laughs> um but no I, I started off with a double feature it was a complete filmography to date of uh, the director ali abasi and uh he directed a 2016 movie called shelly not to be confused with Shirley, which we've already talked about. Shelley is, uh, I want to say it's, uh, it's about a couple of Danish people, uh, a man and woman married couple who are very rich and they, they're living off sort of in the, not exactly wilderness, but they're, they're, they've cut the cords from society. Really, There's no technology, which is really just a way to make this uh, horror movie 
you know, more isolated. And uh, they hire a housekeeper to come take care of their, their place out on the lake for the summer. And she develops a connection with the woman and finds out the woman uh, has tried to have a child before and has just never been able to. So she agrees to be a surrogate uh, for uh, her employer. And it turns into kind of a, I call it run of the mill. It's, it's well-crafted, it's well done, but it's not exactly anything you haven't seen before in terms of like pregnancy horror and like a, like a, uh, which is a subset of, of horror, like of body horror, which is just still hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's okay. I'm not going to re- really recommend it. It's uh, unless you are just uh, a person who loves consuming horror movies and in which case it's. Well, yeah. And Chris might want to watch it after you tell him about this other movie that you watched. Cause I think he saw the other one. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he followed that up with a 2018 movie called border. Which was nominated for best makeup and hairstyling at the at the Oscars. It is uh, best best troll babies in a movie. <laughs> that movie is wild, wild. Yeah. Um, I really thought it was about cavemen <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I thought that's what the movie was. Geico, uh, Geico movie. I was like, I got this figured out. I got it. This is gonna be a caveman movie, but. Um, no, it's really interesting. It's a really interesting movie, um, about a, uh, about a woman who kind of looks like a Neanderthal and she works, um, at, uh, I guess border patrol. Well, I don't know if it's border patrol. She works at an airport. She works at like Swedish, I want to say, uh, airport security. And so whatever their version of TSA is. And, uh, she, um, has this innate ability to sniff out uh, people who are hiding things. She can smell their shame, their fear of getting caught with something. So she finds people with drugs. She finds people smuggling liquor or whatever. And uh, she's kind of a, a, a superstar in the, uh, in the ranks. And um, the movie is uh, kind of about her. It, it has almost two sections. One is about her following a case, which she, kind of got linked to and because they want her talents on it and uh, another aspect of it is she meets a guy who kind of looks like her who also has that neanderthal look and she can't quite get a handle on him she can't quite prove that he, she she thinks she smells something on him but she can't quite figure it out and so he becomes sort of a, kind of an antagonist to her but a, in like a really like intriguing way to her and so it's it's sort of about them getting to know each other and her kind of reconciling trying to figure out why she is the way she is and why she she knows she's different but she doesn't exactly know how and it's a it's a really interesting movie um like i said it's wild it's out there it is uh, a unique viewing experience that I kind of wish I had um, worked into my 2018 binge for the for the Oscars that year because that the the makeup is fantastic in that movie. It's really well done. Yeah, but I, I would recommend Border. I would probably pass on Shelley, but uh, check out Border if you get a chance and you haven't seen it. Sweet. 
I watched a 2016 movie. This was a remake of a movie that was a remake of another movie. This was The Magnificent Seven. Wow. And this is the, yeah, the Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt. Uh, I remember (laughs) the casting for this movie. There's like, this movie's going to have everybody. Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt. And then they just start murmuring a little bit after that. Um, (laughs) Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio were like a clear second tier yeah <laughs> and then after that it's real like eh. it's like and some guys yeah and peter sarsgaard um yeah it's uh you know what i actually thought this movie i had no interest in this movie when it came out it's like why why are they doing this and and i'm not gonna say it was good but it was kind of fun you know it's the Unfortunately, the thing that I typically like about movies like this where they build a team is I love the team building. And in this movie, that was really kind of boring. The the collecting of all the cowboys. Except for Vincent D'Onofrio. I've laughed really hard at them collecting Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> He's kind of great in the movie. Like it, it was yeah. I, I, I was teetering. I was like, is he great or is he awful? It's one of those and I can't decide. And I yeah. don't quite know, but I settled on great. I think Vincent <laughs> D'Onofrio is great in that movie. This is also... A, a prime example of unrecognizable Vincent D'Onofrio. It was like, you've been watching a guy like for 40 minutes. You're like, wait, is that, is that Vincent D'Onofrio? <laughs> Which is like half his movies or probably more than half his movies are like, but then he turns um, to camera and says, got ya. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love him in that. I, I decided I loved him. It took a little bit for me to fall in love with that performance. Yeah, he's just but, crazy. But I did. Um, Chris Pratt is playing Chris Pratt like normal. Yep, he's really good at that. Yeah. Uh, he's great when you need a Chris Pratt type. Um, and then, I mean, Denzel Washington, even in a fairly boring role for him, is just, I mean, you get Denzel Washington, so he's going to bring swagger and he's going to bring chops to literally any part. And uh, once the once the bullets start flying and the, the battle starts for the town, it's pretty fun i think the action's pretty good in this movie and uh i would i would recommend it if you want just sort of a some brainless fun to to turn your mind off and uh just enjoy some some rootin' tootin' western shooting yeah um, i enjoyed it when i watched it i think i saw, saw it twice because it's an easy movie to put on while you're doing whatever you know yeah there's well there's no character development it's not like right. you, yeah. it's not like you have to pay attention to any of that there yeah. is character development, and it's only when Denzel Washington's character, and it happens in the last three minutes of the movie. <laughs> when he just explains his development to you. Yeah, he's like, oh, this is what happened. Guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. The, the Korean guy who's in it is in a movie that I really like, uh, also Western-themed. Uh, you can tell what they got the comparison from, but he's from a movie, one of the leads in uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Weird. Not for um, that. But it's a, it's a really, really fun movie, and he plays the bad in it. He's he's actually really intriguing in this movie. He's kind of partnered up with Ethan Hawke in the movie, and I I wish they were explored deeper as characters. I really wish there was more of a spotlight on. Yeah, that. if if any character was, it would be. <laughs> it was kind of weird. I mean, uh, Chris Pratt. I think uh, not. There's not much to spoil here, but he pretty much sacrifices himself at the end of the movie, and like even that, you're just like, okay, like you didn't really. Didn't really make sense for that character, but then after I said that out loud while I was watching the movie, I was like, "Wait, I don't know what this character thinks <laughs> at all." The the whole point of it is so he can have a punchline moment, like yeah. And you know what? In this movie, fucking worth it. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> but like Ethan Hawke's character is really interesting, 
or at least has the potential to be really interesting um, because they, when they first ride in and they clear out the sort of the small stable of bandits that are there, uh, he is shaken and can't really fire on any of them. He doesn't take part in the gunfight. He's, his hands are shaking and he eventually, before the big fight, he, he leaves because he's, he, he just, he doesn't think he can be of any help. I don't know if it's a, if he's scared necessarily, or he just thinks he's done too much killing in the past and he's, he's hesitant to, to bring it back into his life, but he, he, he rides away. And then he just, I mean, you know, he's going to come back, but you, you hope they could do something interesting with his return. Instead, he just, he just comes back and starts, <laughs> starts shooting. Like hey guys, I remembered how to kill again. Pretty much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did like their dynamic. Um, but uh, again, this movie isn't really, uh, it, there's a lot of characters and it's not a super long movie. So they, they, they got to get to the action. And so character choices are sacrificed along the way, but it's still a, a fairly fun time. Uh, I watched 2015 movie that I remember getting some awards buzz. It never really got nominated for anything, but uh, it's, I watched the end of the tour which is uh, the story of a Rolling Stone reporter spending like, like maybe a week with David Foster Wallace uh, right after the publication of Infinite Jest. I think it's a true story. Um, I, would, I would imagine it's a true story. But uh, the Rolling Stone reporter is played by Jesse Eisenberg and David Foster Wallace is played by Jason Siegel. And uh, have any of y'all seen this movie? I've seen it. Do you, do you like it? I uh, I did. I thought that I think it all rests on Siegel and Eisenberg, and whether you're interested in them talking about philosophy and pop culture and Alanis Morissette and stuff, which you know I was I was up for it, and uh, they're both compelling actors. It's the best I've seen Jason Siegel, and I don't know, probably just in total. <laughs> he's he's really really good in that movie. Um, I also think I think he's great in. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall as well, but uh, yeah, that's true. I, I do think he's very, very good in this movie, which is nice to see because I, I really like Jason Siegel. I've always liked him on television, and that movie we saw for the watch list of or for the uh, for the podcast a couple of years ago, um, the Discovery. The Discovery. He's in the the yeah. Netflix movie with Robert Redford. Yeah. He was pretty bad in that movie, and so I was. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm glad that he has, you know, found at least in some spots movies that really serve his his best uh, talents. Um, I feel like since, uh, well, just looking at his face and Freaks and Geeks, I've just been also just rooting for him. <laughs> you also him. reminded me, Brent, that uh, was where I said I started season two of uh, Fargo. I totally forgot to mention where I, the wife of uh, the cop in that one is the mother from How About Your Mother. And like yeah. she walks on the screen for the first time, I'm like, "Hey, it's the mother." And then right after that, they were like, "And she's slowly dying of cancer." I was like, "Oh, again!" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Damn, she can't, she can't catch a break." Typecast. Yeah. <laughs> I actually saw her. I think I think she popped. I think that was her on an episode of Thirty Rock where she plays like a like a baby doll style comedian. <laughs> really, the she looks like a, the hell. She, she looks like a baby doll. So, yeah, it really sense. irritates Liz Lemon. Liz basically hates her. <laughs> nice. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's her. I hope I'm not mixing up actresses. But uh, anyway, no. Uh, yeah, that movie is is really just uh, the end of the tour is just two very smart people um, 
both having some professional jealousy, uh, I think, towards one another, who, uh, because, you know, like the, the Rolling Stone writer, he's, uh, he's published a novel before he wants to, and Jason Siegel just, you know, or David Foster Wallace, is, uh, he's just gotten a novel named like the greatest novel of his generation or whatever. And so there's jealousy that way. And then uh, David Foster Wallace sees how uh, David Lipsky can, can just chit chat with people easily and it bothers the hell out of him and he's like it's it's but they wind up finding a lot of common ground and they wind up having a very interesting just like five day like you said david it's just a philosophical debate or chat Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's if you like movies where smart people talk to each other then that was pretty fun it's uh i don't think it's earth shattering i don't know that it necessarily missed out on many awards but uh, uh i did enjoy it um, I watched the 2007 movie, which I definitely did not think was uh, uh, shafted at the Oscars or anything. I watched Mr. Brooks, starring Kevin Costner and Dane Cook. Yeah, don't leave out Dane Cook. Also, Demi Moore, for some reason, is in that movie. Um, Mr. Brooks was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was kind of okay, at least it in parts. It had the... It, it was below average but not like the real stinker i was kind of hoping for kevin costner i think in that movie is kind of good yeah it kind of gets lumped into like some of the worst movies like that would be on flop house or something i don't think it really gets to that level which maybe makes it not as interesting that it's not a complete disaster (laughs) right it's just kind of it's either okay or a little worse than okay uh, but I really like Kevin Costner and William Hurt in this movie. There's it's sort of a, a weird buddy comedy between Kevin Costner and then uh, as Dexter always referred to it, his dark passenger, the William Hurt playing his the part of his psyche that drives him to kill. And I think their rapport is kind of great in the movie. That movie's problem is that it's it's almost like it's a TV pilot. It's got like eight extra storylines that are completely pointless that aren't that interesting. Uh, Demi Moore is the cop trying to catch them. She's a driven cop. That should be enough. Instead, we have Demi Moore's characters, divorce proceedings going on, which, why are they in this movie? It doesn't matter. Uh, there's another, I think there's a, oh, there's an escape convict who wants to kill Demi Moore. Once again, completely pointless and irrelevant to the story. Uh, and then Kevin Costner's daughter, uh, Mr. Brooks's daughter, dropping out of college. And uh, the whole, he suspects that she might be a killer too. Way too much going on in this movie. And that sounds uh, like a lot, it, of, a lot of Dexter seasons just boiled down, actually. It really does. I wonder if this movie came out in like 07. Is that around, is that around the same time, I wonder? Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's a I think that started off as a good movie somewhere and someone got a little too carried away at the typewriter. Yeah, Dexter was 06 to thirteen. So yeah. Um, I watched uh, another oh, another remake. This was a 2008 movie, and uh, Chris, earlier you you said uh, when it comes to Nicolas Cage, give me that Nicolas Cage craziness. Um, yeah, I saw this in your letterbox, and I said my joke out loud to myself when I saw it. I've I think I found your ex- uh, an exception. I watched Bangkok Dangerous starring Bang- Nicolas Cage. Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, 
I didn't wonder if like the sequel is going to be Tokyo safe or something, <laughs> but uh, he played. Okay. This sounds on paper. Like this should be another classic Nicholas cage. Awesome thing. You know, like yeah. the, uh, like, like when I, I remember when I, I, I watched next, that movie is so stupid and just dog shit really. But Nicholas cage makes it kind of amazing because he's, He's in it, and he's doing Nicolas Cage things. This should be along those same lines. He's a contract killer in Bangkok who takes a guy under his wing to teach him the ways. I don't know why, but he just decides to take this guy under his wing to teach him the ways of contract killing. Uh, and they wind up making the one mistake you make with you, you can't make with Nicolas Cage, which is he's the guy who's got it together in the movie. <laughs> he's the guy who's like got it all under control he's cool he's like james bond with a terrible haircut but he's he he's always the the guy who's in he masters every action scene and nicholas cage in control is not what anybody wants and it's boring it's really boring movie and i hated it and (laughs) what's a shame is it's the uh, i've never seen the original but it's the the I think they're the Pang brothers who Correct. made the they made both the original and the remake. So you would think if the remake or if the original was you know a hit at least worthy of turning into a Nicolas Cage remake, then they it's a shame that they kind of lost what maybe made the original so interesting. But yeah, I cannot recommend Bangkok Dangerous. That movie sucked, and I was I was really kind of geared up for. It. I was like, you know what, this is gonna be a fun bad movie. But it was a bad, bad movie. Um, it's the worst kind. It is the yeah. worst kind, especially when Nicolas Cage is there. Uh, he could have been making Pig <laughs> at that time. <laughs> something else like it. Cow. Uh, I watched a uh, Spike Lee movie last night. And um, Spike Lee has made better movies and he's made more important movies. And I think, I mean, I think his best movie is Do the Right Thing. But... I think this is my favorite Spike Lee movie. I watched Inside Man for like the fourth time. Um, the yeah, bank it's a, heist. It's a lot of, it's a good rewatch. It's so rewatchable. And it's, I think it's, it's incredibly paced. That movie is like two hours and 10 minutes maybe. And it does not feel long. It feels like it zips along. I think the only weak part of the movie is that the Jodie Foster character, I don't really know how, she, I don't really know the, the main point of her. Uh, but, Denzel Washington is fantastic. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is is the scene great. like half hour in where they're just like rapid fire interviewing everybody that came out. Yes. So much fun. Yes, and that's where Ejiofor gets to really have some fun, kind of yeah. in the movie because he's really just playing second fiddle to Denzel. It's got one of the best casts I've ever seen. I, in fact, it's a it's kind of overkill for a cast. Like Willem Dafoe's in this movie, and he's just playing kind of a just a normal schlub cop, and and it's like. Okay, Willem Dafoe probably just wanted to work with Spike Lee, and that's kind of the probably the only way that this fits in because otherwise, it's not really a part that's. Uh, so it's in the Wikipedia page. He was just like he saw an opportunity to work while living at home and work with Spike Lee. So he's filming in New York City, and right. he was just like, "Yes, both those things." It's a really fun movie. It's a it's it's a fun movie because in a bank heist slash cop movie, you are rooting for both sides in that movie, which is, I think the, a, a tough trick to pull in a movie like that, but Spike Lee does it really well. You're rooting for Denzel Washington. You love Denzel Washington in that movie, but you also are rooting for Clive Owen because he's just this 
I don't know, suave mastermind bank criminal. And you, you kind of want to say, it's like any heist movie. You want to see the heist masterminds pull off the heist. That's why you press play on the movie. And so, um, yeah, I still really recommend inside man. It's, uh, it, it is, it's on Netflix right now and it's, uh, it's just a sheer delight. It's, just, it's a really fun movie and it's got a fun final, I don't say twist, but like the kind of explained how they did it. The reveal, the yeah. prestige. Yeah. Yeah. That you kind of don't, uh, I don't think I've, I've seen before, you know, it's kind of clever and it's not even really that much of a trick how the guy kind of explains it. Um, right. Yeah. Just, it's, and it's just super fun. Super also fun. got maybe my favorite example of the, what I call the Spike Lee shot, which is where he puts an actor on a dolly, tells them not to move <laughs> and pulls them through a scene. And so you get that, like it's Denzel, like going through the streets outside the bank. Uh, it's really good. But, yeah. um, did you watch, <clears throat> wait? Did you watch the sequel, the direct to Netflix sequel, Inside I Man, s- Most Wanted? I saw that existed. I, I scrolled down a Letterboxd, and it, I saw that that was a thing. And I, was, I don't know. It was just. It made me sad. I just no. Why does this movie need a sequel? Obviously, well, did- none of the people involved in Inside Man had anything to do with the sequel. The only thing that they had to do with the sequel was that they had originally planned for there to be a sequel and it was ultimately canceled. And then <laughs> another company came along and went, we're going to make one. I did read, I did read that they, in the sequel that they show a, a picture of Denzel Washington. Because <laughs> that's what they could get away with. I hope that's they had to pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> I think they also showed a picture of Clavo and which is just like, it's like, probably like I was you know talk somebody talking about this cop and somebody talking about this criminal maybe it's a maybe it's a photo on a day the plot of this movie just sounds like the exact same plot of the other one it's just like they take over a bank and take everybody hostage and there's Nazi gold oh my god it's the same like MacGuffin thing it's the same thing that they're looking for pretty much yeah it's like wait the other one had Nazi diamonds right this will be Nazi gold (laughs) That's enough, right? Yeah. Way different. Um, Weird. Yeah. Well, I can't recommend that, but um, all right. Wrapping my mind up, uh, I watched a movie from 2018. This got a a lot of critical acclaim and I don't think it was nominated for anything at the Oscars, but uh, I finally caught up to Claire Denis' High Life. Have any of y'all seen High Life? I've not. I've heard of it. With Robert Pattinson? The Champagne of Movies. Yeah, so um <laughs> Boo. No, I haven't seen it, but it's been on a list to to watch. I haven't seen a lot of Claire Denis before. I don't think I think this is my first Claire Denis movie. Uh I, it's a good movie. I watched this. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, should I thought about I thought about giving uh, sharing my review with you to see if it rang a bell, which was two thousand one, a space odyskeet. Stupid. I, I saw someone. I saw someone. Uh, <laughs> had, uh, Stupid. Yeah, it, uh, it's like uh, someone had said that I forget where I read this, but they said Claire Denis was watching Interstellar. She's like, yeah, but where's all the jizz? <laughs> we need some of that. Um, so yeah, it's a weird movie. It's out there. Um, Robert Pattinson plays a prisoner who is, uh, on a mission to a black hole. 
to harness energy from the black hole, which uh, maybe that's that is apparently a, a legit scientific theory. Um, yeah, you just get the mason jar and like, get the lid on it. It's, it's like a, it's like Wally when he's skimming for the the, the glowy shit. Like, yeah, you have to befriend about the black hole first. You have to earn its trust. Yeah, bow, bow. Come here, come here. No. Um, but uh, they're they're they were in prison on Earth and they were chosen or maybe volunteered for this mission. It's not really clear. I don't think that's the point. But uh, anyway, they are uh, going through space and uh, Juliette Binoche plays a fellow prisoner, but a doctor, uh, a fertility doctor, who decides she's going to just do experiments on everyone and try to create space babies. And it's uh, pretty disturbing in that regard. Uh, If you've ever wanted to see Juliette Binoche just go to town in a masturbation room, then uh, this is a this is the movie for you. Um, I didn't even know that was something I could think about. <laughs> <laughs> I did not either. <laughs> um, but it's it's a good movie. I don't know that I loved it because it's. I feel like this is a hard movie to love. Uh, it's hard to have an emotional connection to this movie. Um, but I do I do think it's interesting and well done. Um, yeah. The- there's also a really bold decision in the nonlinear nature with which the story is told. Um, the, Did you I, like that? Because I, I thought no, about it afterwards and I don't know that I quite got the point of it. No, I, I think that what they were trying to do was they were trying to make some parallel or some allegory to like the relative nature of time like when you talk about space, space travel, and then also adding the like wrench into the works of a black hole and how that deals with time wormholes and all that shit. But like so much of what's good about the movie is the really confined nature and like the, the kind of the, like the, the personalities of the people on board the prison vessel. And then like, the various attempts they make at making contact outside and like the protocols that they've entered into to like mm-hmm. not go like, you know, mad in a vessel full of not prisoners, but felons. Like everyone on board has murdered somebody is yep. like the takeaway. Um, but yeah, I, I really did kind of hate it. Um, I get that. That is an easy reaction to have. I think, you know, I was sort of, teetering on do i hate this for the at least the first 40 minutes i really like the second half of the movie um yes, i think I'll, I'll i like that a whole that that made me feel much better about the movie because the first the first 30 40 minutes were a fucking struggle when i said i hated it my it i mean the nonlinear nature of the story oh, i liked okay. the movie oh, okay um, i could I also like, though understand hating that movie like i yeah. get it but andre andre benjamin in a bizarre like he wrote the character for himself role. Um, I just I like those those moments, but I just that he had in the movie, but they just didn't really have a huge impact. Yeah. Um, but so I don't know. Pretty good space movie. Yeah, it's a different kind of space movie. it's it's a different kind. But uh, I would recommend it only because it's it is certainly a unique story. I don't know if it's the most unique thing I watched this week because I watched Border, but it's uh, it is definitely out there. And uh, 
more bodily fluids than advertised in that movie. <laughs> yeah, you you also like I really hope that Oracle is better to you next week because thinking about three of those movies, there's a lot of sexual violence across yeah. the three of those. I, I haven't seen, I don't know anything about uh, sure which which is the one that you watched that was the guy by the guy named Shelly. 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 Yeah. Um, like you know, pregnancy horror is the. It's, it's more it's more of a rehash of rosemary's baby which is just like okay. oh this this baby that i want to have i think it might be evil mm. and that's it so it's uh, kind of boring but the other two the two that you've seen that i've seen yeah those are bummers <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah worthwhile but uh difficult sits yeah. nice um so Brent, I'm going to prescribe you one dose of my neighbor Totoro for next week. <laughs> Goes down smoother than space jizz. Well, I've I've already seen what Oracle has planned for me next. It's my first Tarkovsky movie, so God. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I don't I've know always, if that's going to help. I've always wanted to try with those movies, but haven't. Scared. Yet. <laughs> yeah. That's it for me. All right, so that does it for the watch list. Uh, before going forward, we'll just say uh, um, things you can do to help us. If you like what you're hearing, um, you can subscribe to this podcast and your podcatcher of choice, now including Spotify, and give us a rating. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. You can engage with us on our Facebook page, our uh, Facebook groups, Movies by Us, TV by Us, Games by Us. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys. You can also check us out on our uh, Twitter at the media by us, our uh, email that's uh, the media by us at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, check out the uh, site, see our stuff, listen to our podcasts. We appreciate y'all. Yeah. Yeah. So without uh, further ado, um, anyone have any reality roundups to, uh, to talk about? I don't. I'm yeah. still falling behind a little bit on the challenge. I got to get caught up. Yeah, I keep that... falling asleep during Top Chef. <laughs> Top Chef is just so, uh, it's such a, I don't know, it's a comfort watch. Yeah. They go to Italy this week and it just, it's just really nice. <laughs> I My favorite thing about uh, Top Chef now is watching it to see if Brian Voltaggio is actually a robot. <laughs> because I don't think that that man actually has a sense of humor. Like it's the point where like he's being interviewed by producers about something, and then he goes, "Ha ha, that's a joke. That's funny. That's a joke." <laughs> and it's just like really bizarre. Yeah. Execute, execute laugh function. <laughs> um, but what yeah, is I, my purpose? <laughs> <laughs> TJ do his best Dalek. <laughs> it turns out I'm, I'm rewatching Doc, I'm rewatching Doctor Who's my like waste time show, and I got to the first Dalek episode of the the new run, so like episode five of the Ninth Doctor, and I could not stop laughing at the Dalek, and I don't remember having that response before, but oh my god, it's so over the top, man. Where are the other Daleks? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did not understand the reference, and I I did <laughs> I misheard you when you said Dalek. I thought you said dog, and uh, it's like, wait, is that what the movie A Dog's Purpose is? <laughs> is a dog like, 
what is my purpose? <laughs> like, I gotta check this movie out. The, the sequel to it is the sequel to it is the art of racing in the rain, where the dogs like my purpose is racing. <laughs> uh, does anybody have any breezy? I know we're running kind of long. We could jump on into what to watch if we want to. Still, still no HBO Max on my TV. That's it. That's the breezy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, cool. We got some options coming to uh, VOD um, this weekend. First, uh, and, and a trio of big directors, big name directors, uh, have a movies coming out all in uh, this weekend. Uh, Disney Plus, uh, Artemis Fowl is coming there. That's the um, the science fantasy adventure, I guess, based on the the 2001 novel. Um, the uh, premise from the studio: Artemis Fowl is a 12 year old genius and descendant of a long line of criminal masterminds. He searches for his father, who has mysteriously disappeared, and comes into conflict with the hidden world of the fairies. And that's uh, directed by Kenneth Branagh. It'll be on Disney Plus this weekend. Um, you also on Hulu? Oh no, it's VOD from Universal Pictures. Um, uh, the King of Staten Island, starring uh, Pete Davidson, written by Pete Davidson and Judd Apatow, uh, directed by Apatow. Uh, it's pretty much the uh, what if Pete Davidson never got into comedy uh, story. Um, his dad dies in 9-11 as a firefighter, which is true from Pete Davidson. And his mom starts dating uh, somebody named Bill Burr. Not somebody named Bill Burr. Somebody played by Bill Burr. What a coincidence. <laughs> played by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> yeah. Bill Burr. And uh, I don't know. Steve Buscemi plays a firefighter in it, which is neat. He was a firefighter for a long time in New York and went and did a lot on 9-11, I know. Um, and so that movie's on VOD. And also... The newest Spike Lee joint, uh, which is a Netflix film, is coming out on June 12th, starring Delroy Lindo, Jonathan Majors, Clark Peters, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. The uh, Five Bloods is the name of that movie. Uh, four African-American Vietnam veterans return to Vietnam in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immorality of the Vietnam War. Those are your three picks. Uh, I'm going to take the five bloods. I'm going to take the Spike Lee joint here, I believe. Yeah, same for me. I'll take really, the, the five bloods. Really impressed with Spike's last movie, Black Klansman, and uh, definitely going to watch it. Yeah. Not my favorite director, but I always find his work worth checking out so spike lee is my pick as well i've been trying to watch uh the king of staten island for long enough that i watched a movie with pete davidson that i thought was the king of staten island <laughs> so i would pick that one uh because i'm really looking forward to it i, I really like pete davidson's story yeah yeah it is a really really gnarly story so check out uh the five bloods or uh, the king of staten island and uh yeah artemis fowl i just have that uh um, it just reminds me of a wrinkle in time too much. I'm just like, this movie's gonna suck. <laughs> this has to. 
I, um, I know it's not the case, but I'm pretty sure Artemis Fowl works in the Ministry of Magic. <laughs> like that's just <laughs> the name of somebody in the bureaucracy that keeps Harry Potter from killing Voldemort. Well, yeah. Good news. Uh, I'll, Colin Farrell's in it. So I was about to say this Sam Dame, Sam Dame, Sam Dame. God damn it. I was saying Sam Dame because I was staring at the words Judy Ditch. I kept saying Sam, Sam Dame, Judy Ditch. I quit talking. But I, but I guess this guy, Josh Gad, after having a successful Zoom call with the Lord of the Rings cast, they decided to start putting him in movies. I've been uh, dungeon mastering D and D, or been on this podcast since nine this morning, <laughs> without a break. <laughs> I'm gonna not talk the rest of the day. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll honor TJ's request and end the podcast right there. <laughs> I want to say thank you to the Willow Walkers for our cool intro. Thanks, and thanks to uh, Boo Rifa for the cool outro. Oh, Rifa. Oh gosh. Whoa. Like that. Yep, it does. <laughs> Thanks to all you guys on the on the Zoom call here. Appreciate talking movies and everything with you guys right now. And uh thanks to everybody uh listening. Uh, appreciate you guys all a lot. Kicking rocks uh, download dusty roads. Small town slowpokes long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know.